Welcome to another episode of Hoosology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Oh, man, doing well, having a great week. We've had a lot of fun chats that I know you're going to bring up. Uh, a lot of fun conversations. Another great week for the podcast. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing really good, man, and excited just to break down some exciting announcements. But first, I want to let the listeners and viewers know what's coming up on this week's show. Um, We have match trending topics, and then we have an interview with Yahoo Sports NBA writer, Sirat Sohi. Um, She has been covering the NBA for a long time, um, has deep knowledge, and we get into just the emergence of the New York Knicks. Um, just Julius Randle's killer year. Um, just a really great conversation with her. So that's coming up um, just right after um, your training topics, Matt, and then our announcements. So let's not waste any time and let's get into the first announcement. And that is that our NBA Last Dance panel, we mentioned it last week, um, that panel is going to be postponed. Uh, so stay tuned for that. That is going to come up. We are going to do the Last Dance panel. Um, don't worry about that. That is definitely on the horizon. Um, so stay tuned just to our social media handle and this YouTube page, and we'll, we'll have that news for you once we're able to schedule that. But the big announcement that we were promising last week is that our podcast is now a part of Off the Glass uh, Podcast Network on um, the Woo-hoo! website, um, www.otgbasketball.com. Um, I want to thank um, Nick Fates for organizing this whole thing, getting us um, as a part of their team. Um, we're really excited about this opportunity. So um, you'll be seeing this podcast um, probably on their YouTube channel. We'll be popping up on there and on their Twitter handles as well. Um, not to mention having um, some of their hosts on our show too. Looking forward to talking to them. So it brings in a whole new element. Um, I want to thank you, Matt. Uh, we're right in about a year since our relaunch, and this is really awesome to be aligned with this great basketball website and as well as their um, group of podcasts. So definitely um, looking forward to what the future holds. Absolutely. Here, here. 100% agree and uh, just really excited to be part of this great network and link up with these uh, with these writers and podcasters um, and, and looking forward to a bright future ahead as we continue uh, dropping this content. For sure. So for this week, we have a, excuse me, not for this week, for the next couple of weeks, excuse me, a ton of interviews. So far, um, we have about, if you count the CRAD interview, that's going to be at the end of this podcast. Um, four interviews pretty much locked in. And then we have a um, scheduled interview that you'll be seeing, I believe, either this week or next week with the founder of Own the Moment. That's Justin Herzig. Um, he has um, a lot of knowledge on just the ongoing top shot phenomenon. So that's going to be um, very interesting to um, talk to him about um, just because he has just a lot of info just about where what's going to happen with just NFTs as a whole and specifically just NBA top shot. So he's the co-founder of own the moment um, NFT. So we're excited to talk to him and you'll be seeing that with, again, within the next couple of weeks. And then also um, another batch of interviews featuring Jeff Stotts. Um, he is a certified trainer and also recording a database of NBA injuries. So that was a really interesting chat. Just get a really good perspective as to if injuries are really on the rise of the NBA. So don't want to spoil anything, but so um, you'll have to listen to that interview. And then we have John Weinbach. He is the one of the executive producers of The Last Dance. Really great interview with him. A lot of insight just regarding that documentary, just the impact that it had, not only in the sports world, but for society as a whole. Um, we have Scott Howard Cooper, the, um, the author of Steve Kerr. And I have the book here, um, Steve Kerr, A Life. 
So he is the author of this book coming out in June. So um, that's going to that was an exciting chat. And then also we have tons of other interviews I can't get into. I don't want to jinx it, but we have two interviews, one somewhat prominent. So I'm excited to, to have that interview as well. Um, I don't want to get into jinxing it because I announced the last dance panel. And then we had to postpone it. So um, I don't want to become a jinx. <laughs> well, we got that John Weinback interview. Yeah, so if you guys were really hungry for that last dance content, for we sure. still have that coming up this week. So definitely stay tuned to the feed. We'll have that up. Exactly. So Matt, um, we got all the housekeeping stuff out of the way. Why don't you go ahead and let's hop into your trending topics for this week. Yeah, let's take a look. So as you guys know, we look at trends every week. So in the Eastern Conference, we have two teams that are streaking right now, streaking in a positive direction here. Those are the Knicks, which we will talk about the Knicks a lot with this interview with Sirot coming up. So stay tuned for that. But they've won their last nine. Um, and then the Wizards, the unlikely second team there that is trending, they have won their last seven games. So the Wizards are now, they just crept their way up above your bulls, Justin, and they are on mm -hmm. uh, the 10th seed now. So right in the play in tournament, if things started today, which of course they haven't. Um, then in terms of trending down, we have the Sixers who have lost their last four games. We have the magic who have lost their last four games, almost like it was by design. And we have the Pistons who have lost their last three games. So the Magic and the Pistons are at the very bottom of the Eastern Conference. To look at your top six right now in the East, so the, the teams that are a lock for the playoffs, we have the Nets in number one, the Sixers, number two, the Bucks, number three. And the Bucks, you guys, have a very easy schedule moving forward. They have one of the easiest schedules in the East moving forward. So they are still really in play for that number one seed. The Knicks are the fourth seed, but there is close competition following them with the Hawks and the Boston Celtics. So there's your outlook for the East. Moving over to the West, we have... Uh, teams that are trending up. The Clippers have won their last four. The Mavericks have won their last three games. Um, teams that are trending down, we have the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, again, probably by design. <laughs> They're sitting at 13th, and they have lost their last 13 games. Ouch. The Rockets have last, lost their last four. They're the bottom of the West. Obviously, they have been tanking for a while. As you guys who have been listening more than once to this podcast, you've heard my woes about that. Uh, the Trailblazers have lost their last four, and the Lakers have lost the last three. The good news for the Lakers is Anthony Davis did return, I believe, this past Thursday was when he made his return to the team. So things probably about to start looking up for the Lakers, assuming he can stay on the court. Your top teams in the West, the Jazz are still at number one, though the Suns are catching up to them at number two. They're a game and a half behind right now. The Clippers are in third. The Nuggets are in fourth. It seems like Jokic... The, the Nuggets won their last three games after Jamal Murray went out with his ACL injury. So it seems like... Jokic has a really strong narrative for the MVP. Should that race in today, should the season end today, I think you'd have to give it to Jokic. We'll see what happens the next couple of weeks. The Lakers are in fifth. The Mavericks are in sixth. And then it is very close together 
from seven through 10, the Warriors with Steph Curry playing on fire. They've won seven of their last 10 games. And Curry has had that incredible production streak. Really, he, he's been doing a lot of everything. Uh, but the Warriors are sitting right at 500 now and in the 10 seed. So they are just making the play-in tournament as it is now. Uh, one more cool bit of news that I saw. Well, I guess let's start with an uncool bit of news. The Nuggets had yet another injury with Will Barton going down this week during Friday's loss at Golden State. He has sounding like a similar injury to what James Harden has. Uh, He's out indefinitely with a hamstring strain, much like James Harden. So no word yet if he's going to be back for the playoffs or not, but definitely a hit for the Nuggets. Uh, In more positive news now, Zion... Uh, Zion Williamson of the Pelicans this week is the fastest player to reach 2000 points since Michael Jordan. Wow. So he, he kind of earned that pace alongside former hall of famers, Rick Barry and Elgin Baylor. This is on NBA.com. He is the fastest to 2000 points. He's 20 years old. um, Fastest to 2000 since Jordan. So excellent news for him. He's been, you, you know, I, I, I will own this. I I said, I don't think he deserved to be on the all-star game based on his production to that point in the season, but man, he, he has really impressed moving since that point. I mean, I think he is now definitely playing at an all-star worthy level. So I'm definitely not uh, bashing the choice as much as I was at the time, but he, he is really starting to shine. And it's good to see that he's been able to play a long, long stretch with no injury problems. So those are the trends I have. Justin, any any thoughts on those? Um, just the thoughts on the MVP race, kind of like a disappointment. And maybe this goes to our interview with Jeff Stotts that you'll hear um, coming up in a couple of weeks, just in terms of the discussion of LeBron. And maybe, you know, um, I'm sure Anthony Davis was sprinkled in there and some a little bit of talks. But, you know, with Kevin Durant and just a lot of the guys is getting hurt. So um, even the, the crossover um, Twitter feed now just posted the MVP candidates. And it's kind of like interesting to pick between um, the Joker and Embiid. I just, you know how these MVP races go sometimes. It's kind of like a popularity contest. <laughs> and Envy sure. plays plays in a bigger market. He's more popular. He's makes more headlines, even though, you know, you, you take a look at currently their terrible losing streak. So that's that's my primary concern of the Joker just getting robbed out of the MVP. But we'll see. He's getting a lot of love too. And I think unfortunately for him, there I think writers might be looking for an excuse to not give it to him. And I can just see for instance, the Warriors. So somehow they just work their way into like the seven seeds by miraculously. And Steph just keeps up this pace that he's at. I can kind of see it going to him or, you know, somebody else, to be honest. And I don't think James Harden is in contention just because of his injuries. Um, but at the same time, everybody's been hurt. So it's kind of like, yeah, I heard, you know, LeBron James, he's out of the running because he's been hurt. But, you know, a lot of guys have been hurt. It's just a shortened season. So the criteria is just so different at this point. It's kind of like, what do you like the most as opposed yeah. to a clear, you know, dominant MVP of the season? So I, I don't think for me, the whoever they pick, I, I, unless it's somebody, you know, out of the running that we haven't heard this season, I'm not going to be terribly outraged whoever they pick, to be honest. 
Yeah, and I've got it in front of me here. You know, to your point with Embiid, I, I think it's a stretch too far with the time that he's missed. Yeah. You know, he has 41 games played. I, w- I would certainly agree with you with the popularity contest narrative that you brought up there because it very much is a popularity contest type of award. But he's played 41 games. The Sixers have won 39 games. Mm-hmm. And they've played a total of now what is it? Let's see quick math here. They've played 60 games. So for him to miss a third of the entire season and be considered to win it. I mean, I, I just don't think he's been quite that dynamic. I, I think that would be ripping off Joker. We've certainly seen crazier things than that happen with the MVP award, no doubt. Uh, so maybe there's something to that, but yeah, you know, it's, it's been the most, I think, confounding MVP narrative this year compared to others. Cause you have like James Harden statistically was great, but then he's out indefinitely with this hamstring strain. Plus I wouldn't have, (laughs) if I had a vote, (laughs) um, I wouldn't have voted for him anyway, just because of the, the Houston thing going down and that sort of narrative strike against him. But from the numbers, I mean, he was, he was lighting it up, no doubt. And then you're right. Like Kevin Durant at the start of the season, MVP like play, no doubt. And he goes down with an injury. So injuries and some, some COVID related missed time in, in some cases, but more so the injuries, really those soft tissue injuries that, you know, we'll, we'll cover in, in a lot greater detail with Jeff Stotts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really been a tough narrative and that's why, you know, we joked about it a couple of weeks ago with Jordan Liggins about Steph winning the MVP right now, them being in 10th, that's not high enough, but if they could, if they could get into the top six, I think there's a strong enough narrative that Steph could come by. And like you're saying, the popularity contest thing, no doubt he's way more popular than Jokic. And I think it would be a snub to Jokic at this point, but you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe he will earn that if the Warriors go on a crazy win streak here. Um, another note, and then uh, that'll be it for me. Is and we'll talk about this with C uh, Rat is Julius Randle. And taking a look at the standings here, the Knicks are at the four seed. And I was looking yeah. at this when we were talking to her. So you never know what happens in the NBA. The Bucks, if they go on a losing streak, the Knicks get that spot. Now, how are they going to do it in the playoffs? That's another discussion. But, you know, just them getting to third seed, Julius Randle leading that team, that is another, you know, storyline, especially in a big market like New York. Um, I think that is feasible that he can be in a discussion if those seeds flip-flop as well. Because that, I mean, this this is the hottest the Knicks has ever been, and especially if they get the third seed. I mean, they're considered one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. So that's, I think, another narrative to watch out for if the Bucks do fall off. And I think it's, you know, you never know. I mean, this is a unprecedented season, so anything can happen. And as we will discuss with, as you're here with C-Rat, um, just um, the way the Knicks win games with Thibodeau, Tosh Gibson, and Derrick Rose, it's a proven formula that works, not to mention their leader, Julius Randle. So that is a narrative that I'll be particularly watching, especially just seeing, you know, the Nets. I mean, it's, it's not like they're running away with the East. I mean, look at the 76ers. They've lost four in a row under a game back. <laughs> so it's not like the Nets are destroying everybody in the NBA. So it's it's certainly wide open. Um, in terms of the MVP race. So it'll be interesting just to, to see how that unfolds. 
Yeah, you know, it, especially with like the Donovan Mitchell injury, sure, it feels like almost every team around the league is just kind of stumbling into the playoffs. It's kind of, I mean, we've we've had recently some really great games, and the Knicks, like like you just talked about, I mean, they are a very fun watch right now. But it's it's an interesting time in the league. You know, we always talk about this awkward kind of more slow time before we get in the playoffs. But it does feel like with the extra injuries lately, teams are just stumbling into the playoffs, which doesn't help with an MVP type narrative, you know, yeah. instilling confidence in anyone other than Jokic right now, in my opinion, mm-hmm. who kind of gets a narrative boost because he's winning in spite of Jamal Murray going down and now Will Barton going down. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if they can keep their heads above the water, so to speak, in, in the West yeah. there and not collapse themselves. But if if he can sustain a top four seat in the West, I, I think you have to hand it to him. For sure. Um, I think that's going to wrap things up, Matt. Did she have anything else before we toss it to our interview? No, let's throw it to C-Rod. Thank you again to OTG for having us. Yes. It's kind of our inaugural podcast on the network. So we're excited for for many more there. And uh, thank you, as always, Justin, for everything you do on the pod. And we'll toss it to C-Rod. Yeah, appreciate you, Matt. And as always, you can get in touch with the show through HoopsologyPod at gmail.com. And they were available on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in Hoopsology. And again, one more time, um, we are now officially a member of Off the Glass. Check out the website, www.otgbasketball.com. Um, again, big thank you for Matt for uh, getting me back in the saddle again. It's been a wonderful ride. Uh, so without any further ado, let's get this C-Rat Sohi, um, reporter for Yahoo Sports, and then we'll see you next time. All right. Peace. She is a NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports. We now welcome C-Rat Sohi onto Hoopsology. How's it going? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Really, really good. Thanks for coming on the show, and we have a lot of topics to discuss. And since we're talking about it off-air, let's just bring it on to the podcast, and that's the New York Knicks. Um, as the recording of this podcast, the Knicks continue to be on a hot streak. And I just want to get your opinion. Um, are you surprised by the way um, Tom Thibodeau has been able to just rally this team and really turn the Knicks into such a, I guess, I wouldn't say uplifting, but certainly a warm feeling team this season. What's been your overall impressions of the Knicks this season? Um, I think it's fair to say that they've been uplifting. I didn't, I thought that, I thought Tibbs would be good for the Knicks. I certainly misunderestimated how good he could be for them. Uh, But, you know, he's a defensive minded coach that has, I think, other than the Minnesota situation, which, you know, I think, if we relitigate that now, knowing what we know about everybody involved, um, both both Jimmy Butler and Tom Thibodeau not looking so bad considering what they've done in their other stops. But, you know, other than Minnesota, you know, you're a Bulls fan. We talked about this a little bit before. Tibbs knows how to motivate young guys to play defense, which is, I think, one of the hardest things that you can do in the NBA, and also knows how to teach them how to be in position, right? And that's that's just something that I think we take for granted a little bit, especially with a coach like Tibbs, where you might not necessarily want him if you're trying to win a championship, but, like, the guy instills order, right? And he, he, he allows for a clarity of roles, and also I think the fact that 
that he doesn't necessarily focus too much on the offensive end can actually be a little bit of a a little bit of an advantage um in a strange way an unexpected advantage in that usually you know the point guard or like a creator i guess in this in this context in this modern context it would be julius randall uh, but you see it with rj too uh they've both really grown into their games a lot and i think that he gives he gives young players a good level of offensive freedom as well um that i think is just coalescing really beautifully um so i am i definitely misunderestimated how well it would work uh, but i didn't i'm not surprised in general that the tibbs led team is you know doing this so since the Knicks are performing this well, I, I want to pass this question on to you. We had another, uh, we had a Brooklyn Nets reporter on last week and we were discussing, mm-hmm. you know, the battle for New York, you know, Brooklyn versus the Knicks. And just kind of your thoughts since the Knicks are relevant, do you think with Brooklyn, and let's say they win the title this year and let's say Durant and Kyrie, they stay in Brooklyn for a decent, a decent period of time and win a couple of titles. It, is that kind of battle for New York still up for grabs, or do you think it always will be kind of a Knicks town forever uh, just because they have kind of the lenience there, no matter what Brooklyn does? Um, that's an interesting question. I think it's hard to, it's hard to know um, the pattern that the city's going to go in. I'd imagine that if there's a Knicks-Nets playoff series and the Nets knock off the Knicks, uh, that might cause some some ill will. That might make it a little bit more difficult for some Knicks fans to get on the bandwagon there. But I think you know, it's if I'm the Knicks, I kind of look at the Nets like that's what I was supposed to have, right? Even if that wasn't necessarily true, but that was the fantasy the whole time, right? So I think I think it would be hard for a Knicks fan to to convert. You know, I think the city just has so much history with that team. It's not quite as strong as as the Lakers in Los Angeles, but I do think you can draw some corollaries where, you know, if the Knicks are even a little bit relevant, it just completely, you know, it takes over the vibe, right? Like, you see in the NBA in general, just the fact that, you know, Knicks fans are happy, (laughs) there's just, like, there's such a large subsect of them that it actually kind of, like, changes the way that, like, the online NBA Twitter vibe is even. I can't even imagine what it's like in the city itself right now. But yeah, I mean, fandom is strong. It's kind of it just it's hard to it's hard to convert people, especially when they have something worth rooting for. Now, if the Knicks were like, you know, the 12th seed again, right? I think things might look different. But if I'm a Knicks fan right now, I'm I'm pretty happy. Like, got some young guys winning games, going to make the playoffs, like, a lot of feel-good stories. And also, you know, like, a guy in R.J. Barrett that you can actually look at and say, hey, like, this guy could be our future. A guy like Julius Randle as well, so, and, and, and Emmanuel Quickly. And like, so there's stuff about this particular run that I think would make it difficult because not only are they good, but they also have potential for the future. Yeah, Justin and I had the good fortune of actually seeing R.J. Barrett. Justin, you probably remember, we watched him at Summer League together. That's right. Uh, when we went there, and and he really, man, he was he was a man among boys. So I'm I'm excited to see him doing well in New York um, this season and, and really throughout his career so far. While we're on the the Knicks, one thing I wanted to get your your thoughts on your perspective on is where this team might fall in terms of season awards. Like Tom Thibodeau certainly seems 
to to be one of the top contenders certainly for coach of the year award depending on how the next couple weeks play out here um and then the other interesting person of course is Julius Randall who you mentioned earlier I've, I've seen a lot of people say basically you know that he has most improved player in the bag I think that's hard to argue but I've also seen a push for him for people saying you know why isn't he considered in this MVP discussion with this award seemingly being wide open right now given the time that a lot of people have missed I mean I, I think it's kind of Jokic's award to lose at this point but where do you see the likely chances, I guess, of Thibodeau winning coach of the year and Julius Randle getting most improved or uh, maybe some sort of placing on the MVP award? Man. Okay. I guess let's start with, let's start with a lot there. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Okay. Let's start with coach of the year. Um, and I'd be interested to see what you guys think too, because I think there's, there's definitely some solid candidates this year. Right now, I think it would be really difficult not to give it to Quinn Snyder, not only because of this season, but because the body of work of, you know, the last five years and like really what they've put into, into that team in terms of player development, um, little changes into their scheme, like really finding the right chemistry, uh, you know, getting getting the right sets in to work for, for all of those guys, like finding a playmaking. I mean, they're just a really fun team to watch that has really like specified on what they are in a way that I, I think it takes a couple of years to, to do what they're doing. Um, and I think it's hard to give out these awards for that reason too. Like coaching is not a one-year process, but I think Quinn has kind of hit that sweet spot of having built this thing for a while while also, you know, enjoying spectacular success this year. Uh, so to me, I would vote for him right now. Um, and I think it would be honestly pretty hard to get me off of that. But there are some other teams that that have some candidates. Like I think, you know, if you look at, you know, the Suns, what Monty Williams has done there, that's really interesting as well. Um, I, I guess I guess the Knicks do like you know they do deserve some love and Tibbs deserves some love, for sure. Uh, I just I don't know how far we can really take it. He's a candidate, I guess you know. But it kind of like it was kind of like what I was gonna say for the MVP season thing too. It's like, you know, we we talk about these things like, let's like, is he in the conversation? Like, well, what does the conversation mean? Like, it can he actually win MVP? No, Julius Randle can't win MVP. Like, I think that would be that would be shocking if at the stage he did, just given how how impressive Jokic and Embiid have both been. I feel like at this point, as long as they both stay healthy. Um, it's theirs to win or lose. And then there's some other guys that you can certainly throw in there. I think you're going to see Luca in there as well. But, you know, with the way that the Knicks play, I don't really necessarily know that Julius Randle is like, he's obviously the engine, right? Um, For sure. But they're, they're a team that's fueled by their defense, you know? So it would almost be like Miss... It would be misappropriating credit for what makes him so good to to give him an MVP award, not to discredit anything he's done this year. And I definitely think when we're talking about most improved player with him, it's like it's certainly a different conversation. I just think from like a even a defensive perspective and a playmaking perspective, just his ability to do things on multiple sides of the court now too. Like he used to that used to be a problem for him as well. Like he's really, really developed his game. I think he definitely deserves some kudos for that. Um, but I don't think that you can put him in the MVP conversation. I, would, I think we'd be start, starting to get a little, uh, we'd be starting to exaggerate a little bit with that. 
Um, I got a question, and I want to shift it towards some recent news that broke today regarding the G League. And I think, you know, normally G League doesn't get that much love, but I thought it was basically relevant um, just due to Michael Foster. Um, he's the seventh overall recruit ranked on an ESPN's 2021 class. And then also uh, Tham Bo Zhang, China's top basketball prospect. Um, he decommitted from Gonzaga, and they're both planning to join the G League. And I just want to kind of get your thoughts on, like, kind of – I guess the possibility of the G League becoming more relevant, you know, comparing it to like Major League Baseball with AAA in terms of talent um, being cycled from a minor league into the professional league. Do you think with these recruits and, you know, with college basketball changing the rules in terms of eligibility, that there could be a shift in terms of the younger rookies we get into the league? And then also, how do you think it's going to affect just the overall quality of the product in terms of watching these games? Because, I know, even though I remember, you know, certain high school prospects from LeBron to, you know, Garnett to Kobe, while they were great, there are plenty of ones that they they flopped and plenty of this, you know, high school players that took years for them to develop. So what do you think about kind of this new um, system in terms of how the NBA is um, getting new talent to their league? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if it succeeds in what it's trying to do, I think it's almost a no-brainer for a lot of players. Um, but I do think that, well, first of all, I guess let's talk about that, right? You have, A, it's it's money over the table, right? Which I don't know if that's good or bad for these guys. Maybe they like non-taxable income. Um, but it's it's that, right? And you're not going to get into trouble for anything. Um, and you have all of the resources in the world. I think that's a big part of it, right? Just for your own development at that age. Um, you have, you know, some of the best coaches in the world and you have an ability to work out all of the time as well, which is restricted in, in college as well. So I think if you're a high-level prospect, that it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's what I think we're seeing a lot of too. I think, though, if, if you're – if you're not, if you if you aren't, then I think going the NCAA route is still a good way to, to build up your name, right? And you might yeah. need a little bit more uh, long-term development or, you know, just feel like there's a program that makes sense for you. I think that's certainly the case sometimes. Like, you know, you, you look at a, a place like Kentucky, even though uh, they have lost a great Kenny Payne, who is doing awesome stuff for the Knicks right now, probably has a lot to do with her developmental success if we're being honest right actually if we can go back look at, look at some of the strides that their young players have made uh he probably has a lot to do with it but you know look at some of these programs like kentucky look at duke right like they are designed to help players get from you know college to the nba it's like that little it's just like that little stepping stone now g league and night that's a more institutionalized version of that i guess so it's it's interesting like how I, I think it would it all ultimately will come down to development uh, um, more than anything else gotcha and I kind of want to also shift in a, a recent video of yours um, that you do for Yahoo Sports you talked about injuries in, in this season in particular just dealing yeah. with some of the top players that have been, been taken out um, just due to the injuries that's been happening do you ultimately feel that the NBA putting out that press release saying that injuries are actually down? Do you think it was more of them like saving face, or do you think it was there's some like true evidence in terms of it's kind of like a, just a coincidence in terms of this? Hey, these players is is just the natural course of the season. 
star players are going to get hurt due to wear and tear. And then I also want to ask you too, um, with this current um, schedule that's being introduced um, in terms of these players not getting the same amount of rest, um, because I, I just feel that next season, if the Players Association ultimately didn't really put up a fight, that much of a fight to get this resolved during the season, do you foresee um, the new implementations of like these kind of back-to-back kind of games being something that might be kept um, in future seasons? And do you think that will contribute to more injuries? Um, you know, okay, so I think, first of all, I don't think the NBA would lie about its data. I would just say that there's a million different ways to crunch numbers, right? And uh, I think I think what the NBA was doing was like, yeah, they were trying to save face, but I think it was a bad move just because when you have players coming out of the woodwork talking about how hard this season has been, you have D- Jason Tatum talking about still dealing with COVID symptoms, you have a Baxter home story with, you know, a lot of people in the league throughout the league talking about how difficult this season has been um on top of the fact that there's a ton of anecdotal evidence and also the most important thing for the nba's purposes is the fact that pretty much every superstar has missed time um significantly this season like we've anthony davis is back now but you know we've had points of the season with lebron james anthony davis joel Embiid, Kawhi leonard damian lillard you know the the guys who make this league james harden kevin durant you know like the list goes on and on of, of guys who make this league what it is missing time. Um, so I think when you have all of those things happening at the same time, I think it's better to just, you know, try to work behind the scenes and try to figure out a way that you can help. Um, and just acknowledge the fact that your employees are, like, they're not saying this for no reason, right? Like they're saying this because they feel it. So then from that point, I think it's better to not be defensive. I think it's good to just say like, hey, well, obviously this is an issue, right? We've all kind of come together to try to make this season happen what we can all admit are not the best circumstances for reasons that we can all admit are about money like i think like you know fred Van Vika said it best it's like the most unpure season of basketball i think it's at this point there's no point in not acknowledging that right like everybody knows and everybody feels it so where do you go from there um i can't imagine uh, so this season this up, upcoming season is probably going to be a little bit crunched too and i'm actually really curious what happens with the players union um and how much how much of a push we're going to see because i mean you know it's it's it seems like everybody kind of got in it because it was like okay we have to do this right i don't think anybody anticipated just how hard this would be i think they thought okay well you know at least it's not the bubble and it turns out that this might be actually more difficult than the bubble so i imagine there will be some reevaluation this this coming season i don't know if it'll mean the schedule will change um, but I don't see I don't see the NBA continuing with these back to backs or things like that because I don't think that serves their purpose either. I don't think they necessarily want things to be like that, right? I think it's just a, a situation that they're in at this particular moment, you know. Yeah, it's definitely been uh, <laughs> a, a unique season. I mean, one one that we'll mm-hmm. hopefully never see quite like this again um in, in many aspects do you think that like in in terms of you know like hindsight being 2020 is there any sort of solution the nba could have done like maybe pivoting and reducing the number of games even though that would reduce revenue uh which a lot of people wouldn't be in favor of of course like on the ownership side uh, or maybe like extending the season to overlap with the olympics a little bit i mean hindsight being 2020 you know, if, if you had a vote, if you had a say on that, what do you yeah. think might have been a tenable solution? 
I think there's a few things that you can say, like even not with hindsight being 2020. I think a big one is to your point, the Olympics. Um, if so, the Olympics right now are set up so that they'll they'll start the day after. If and if the if the NBA finals go to Game Seven, the Olympics start the day after. Obviously, we don't know if that's going to be the case, um, but that puts that puts some star players out of it. And in a year where all these guys are getting hit with the injury bug, anyways, were they were they even going to participate in the Olympics? You also have a ton of basketball talent in the United States where you don't necessarily need all of the best players going. Like, I think saying in these Olympics, like, okay, well, this will open up the floor for some of the teams that didn't make the playoffs, for some of the guys that, um, you know, like, let's let's say, um, it's like, you know, let's say the Pelicans don't make the playoffs, right? And it's a great opportunity for players like Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson to showcase themselves in the Olympics if that's what they choose to do, right? So I think there was plenty of basketball talent and plenty of NBA representation that would have been available for the Olympics. Um, whether or not you, like the, the NBA season was, you know, going to be condensed, right? Just because of that's, that's how the playoffs work. And even if there wasn't, even if it turns out that it's going to be college players. If they're American basketball talent, they're all eventually going to land in the NBA. So having an Olympic spotlight for them could have been like kind of a version of the marketing that that the uh, that the tournament gives to players too. Um, so I think I think that was in in hindsight, not even in hindsight. Um, trying to try to match it up just didn't make any sense. Like, what are we going to have? Like, is LeBron James going to play Game Seven of the NBA Finals and take a take a red eye to Japan like they play in the Olympics. Like maybe, maybe LeBron of all people, because of, you know, his, his, uh, his endorsement requirements and everything, I don't know exactly how they work. Maybe for him, but maybe for him, it would actually make sense. But um, I don't know. I just don't, I just don't understand how that's going to be tenable for a lot of guys, um, even with the way they set it up. And the other thing is, I just think the NBA could have provided a lot more support for teams. Um, right now, it's usually it's it's the medical and training staff that's that's being uh that's over that's overseeing most of the COVID protocols, right? It's it's usually the people with the most medical expertise on the team that are that are doing that. Um, they also have to travel and deal with injuries, which are up, right? Um, and it's just a lot for them, especially as the rules keep changing and stuff. And it's all right that the rules are changing. I think that was always going to be an issue, just like touch and go and see what works, but. Yeah, I, th- I think it could have gone a long way if the NBA put, like, you know, one person in charge of every team or, you know, made the teams hire one person or, like, however however they got to do it um, to oversee all of the COVID regulations and stuff. I think, you know, if, you, know you talk to some, some people around the league and, like, you got more people traveling in order to try to help out with that, but... It's it's a huge strain. These jobs are already pretty big strains, right? So adding that on top of it and not giving the appropriate resources, um, I think I, I think that was a bad move. Those are the two things I'd say. I think that's spot on. And, uh, you know, given the way that a lot of the players that you mentioned felt about the all-star game, which an exhibition, they, they made their thoughts pretty clear yeah, that yeah. they didn't really want to play in that, but, but they went ahead and did it anyway. Uh, you know, I, I think we can expect the same 
mentality or, or sentiment, whatever you want to say towards, um, you know, extra play this year in the Olympics. So I, I think you're, you're spot on with, um, with those solutions that you suggest. Yeah. Everyone wants a break this year, you know? For sure. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I wanted to ask for yourself this season, what has it been like covering the NBA personally? Because we've had other guests. And uh-huh. I think it's mostly been negative in terms of the access they've usually been able to get and just the Zoom interviews. Um, have you experienced the same thing where um, just due to the pandemic and everything that your the access has been restricted? Um, and then are you worried once, you know, things do get back to normal and that the vaccines are distributed and hopefully we, you know, have fans in arenas and um, things get back to pre-pandemic levels? Um, are you just concerned that the, the way the NBA has placed um, these restrictions on player availability, do you think that might stick around when the pandemic is over? Uh, no, I don't see it sticking around because, uh, these ratings aren't great guys. <laughs> these ratings <laughs> are not good. That's so true. yeah, I, th- I think if the ratings were good, I think we might be having a different conversation. So I don't, I don't see that being too much of an issue. Um, obviously we're going to see how it looks and everything. And I'm sure certain things, will, you know, as with everything in our world, certain things will be different forever. Right. Um, but a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of access and stuff is just about being there. And yeah, it's difficult this year. I think there's, it's a little less invigorating, obviously, like when you can't kind of like go to the arena and see who you can talk to and all of that stuff. And like, you know, there's people around pregame and that's always been fun for me. Um, but at the same time, you know, like, I very, like I'm, I'm conflicted about this season because there's so many ways in which, it, you know, it really shouldn't be happening. But the fact that it's happening is the only reason I'm employed. And also, um, it's been really nice you know it's i'm I'm on mountain time and it's nice that at five o'clock every day like the games start and like there's some normalcy and routine and i can guarantee that i don't really know what's going to happen next it's like just that level that level of like safe unpredictability um where you can just kind of get lost in it i don't think i've needed that more ever in my own life so in that sense, it's been really therapeutic, actually, to just, like, watch these games. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of both sides, really. Like, I think there's advantages, disadvantages, but in general, even though the games have, you know, we've had a kind of strange season, it's been, I just, I like the, I like that it's there. <laughs> And once, you know, as we've seen more arenas introduce fans back um, to support their teams, do you, do you think that dynamic's going to change how the, the finals or the playoffs is going to play out? Um, you know, it, I feel like fans have more an effect on college basketball as the pros, but there's some really passionate um, arenas around around the country, around the NBA. Do you see that being a factor if maybe one state has, like, be able to have full capacity where, you know, another state can't, and that might be an advantage? where you might have one arena where it has like you know packed twenty thousand seats and then you go to the opposing Utah. arena and yeah <laughs> and, and then it's like there's there's nothing um do, do you think that will be any kind of a factor or do you think the fans will oh, play definitely. yeah it's always a factor i mean fans are such a big part of the game sure i think there are definitely players that like showmen there are players that get energy out of that and they've been missing that energy and trying to recreate it in ways um that you know sometimes succeed sometimes don't right um i think yeah that connection is is like a big reason why a lot of these guys play and and like they do genuinely like get out from it 
you know, you think of like certain playoff moments that we've seen in the last few years, guys that really get the crowd going, like, you know, your Patrick Beverly's of the world. Um, you know, I think he's, he's one that comes to mind right now. One of my favorite mo- moments was in the 2010 finals, Nate Robinson and Big Baby. Like I said, I think there are certain moments that probably don't happen if you don't have a crowd. Um, and we've had that this season too, where I think certain things probably haven't happened, although we'll never be able to know what they are, right? Um, but yeah, I think it makes a big difference. Absolutely. And, and you get those uh, nice moments this year where sometimes you have like Dwight Howard pumping up the, the fans that aren't there, the, the crowd noise in, in Philadelphia. But yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. It's, it's going to be way different. I, I have to ask because I saw that you had a recent article about Draymond Green and, and his value uh, in the NBA and him as kind of like a player prototype. One of my, my kind of, um, what ifs in the NBA is because this, this could have potentially happened. What if Draymond green had been drafted by the Miami heat with the big three and had been on that roster, you know, drafted in the late first round instead of the early second round. Um, I, I mean, I, I think he would have kind of fit like a lot of their needs. And so yeah. I know it's, it's a, what if that didn't happen, but um, I was wondering if, if you could just kind of speak to, you know, a lot of people credit Draymond Green's success, I think unfairly, to the Warriors organization. Uh-huh. Uh, can you kind of give us a breakdown to, I mean, Draymond's 31 now at this point. He's well-established. He's still having, uh-huh. I think just last night, he had like a two-point, 15-board, 15-plus assist game, like a very Draymond Green line. Um, can you just give us kind of the breakdown of his work ethic and why teams need a player like that on their roster? Yeah, I mean, doing the kind of reverse engineering on what could have happened to Draymond in a different situation is always interesting because um, any second-round pick, right, is any, any NBA player, but especially a second-round pick, is is very dependent on fit um, and, and whether, you know, you end up being utilized the right way or whether you even figure out the right way for you to be utilized. Now, I think Draymond's advantage is that he always knew. Um like he kind of saw the future before it happened and realized that he could have real value in it. And I think that he, like the thing that kind of kept him going was the fact that no matter what he did or where he went, he always helped contribute to winning. Um, so his sense of his own vision, I think probably would have helped him um, in other in other scenarios, but you also, you need willing listeners. You need people that also believe in it at the same time. The Miami Heat example is really interesting because they were doing the death line of stuff kind of without really, you know, naming it that, but LeBron is a linchpin of a defense um, with, with a guy like Chris, Bo- Chris Bosch being like a little bit more out toward the perimeter um, is kind of, I think part of the inspiration for, for what the, for what the Warriors did. I think that that heat team in general is like kind of criminally underrated and, in the ways that it helped evolve basketball, but they were playing small ball. Agreed. And I think yeah. that that Eric Spolstra is extremely smart. I think LeBron is extremely smart. They have a great coaching staff. And I think he would have fit um, their their culture of like total, you know, intensity and giving yourself over to the game. Um, and Draymond is just so smart, right? I think a guy like Draymond would have pro- probably figured it out. And I think he needed to be that guy. I think he needed to have such a strong vision of who he could be um, because he didn't exist before. Now, the guys after him, I think it might be a bit of a different story. But for him, I think 
in most situations, you probably would have figured it out for those reasons. Um, you know, another team that really wanted to draft him was, was Indiana. Um, Cleveland even looked into drafting him too, which was another opportunity to play with LeBron. But you can also see a world in which, like, if he gets drafted to the, the Cavs in 2012 and he's playing with, like, second year or yeah, second year uh, Kyrie Irving on a pretty motherless organization. Like, yeah, you do wonder what happens to his career from there, right? Like, you don't really know. Yeah, I think to the point of your article, I mean, it, it speaks to how he can cover so many needs and and things that, you know, maybe maybe guys um, typically coming up as as a star college player aren't focusing on. And I love that point that you make about him knowing what he is, because if, if there's anything Draymond is, it's it's certainly intelligent and confident. Um, so that's that's paid dividends for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining the show, C-Rat. Really appreciate it. Please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media. And then also, um, what are you working on for Yahoo Sports and any, any other projects that we should take a look out for? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, I'm. Uh, you can follow me at C-Rat Sohi. Um, and let me see. I don't know if I have anything specific necessarily that I'd want to plug. But, you know, whatever my latest basketball content is, I always tweet it out there. And thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to plug. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for coming on the show. We really enjoyed the chat. Hopefully we'll uh, talk to you again and uh, just uh, look forward to just getting your thoughts at the end of this season. It's been kind of a crazy yeah. ride just considering yeah, all the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thanks for joining the show. Much appreciated.